we are blessed as a family this morning to have a number of our family members that are here and for Byron's ordination service that will be this afternoon. Um, I know uh, Madison's mom, Lisa Thomas, is here this morning. Her parents are also in town, will be here tonight, and uh, Madison's dad, Robin, will be here also, and so we're thankful to have them around. And of course, Madison is uh, going to be induced Tuesday, so Lisa will be around for a little while taking care of children and Madison and such. Maybe Byron, I don't know. Uh, my family is also blessed. Uh, my father, Ray Smith, is here. It's maybe been a few months since he's been here, but uh, uh, he's here for Byron's ordination and uh, appreciate his presence today. Um, my kids that are the out-of-town kids are here. Hillary and Michael are here, and Hayden and Kelsey are here uh, for uh, Byron's ordination weekend. And uh, We're also blessed to have uh, Amy's brother and sister-in-law, Jim and Bev Beverly McCracken. I guess we ought to call you Beverly instead of Bev. I don't know. Uh, Brother Jim is a pastor, and uh, I've asked him in a few moments after Byron gives his testimony to come and to share with us, and he's going to have a part in um, the evening service. I haven't gone over that with you, Brother Jim, but anyhow, we'll, I'll get with you. Uh, it, it's all about being in season and out of season, right? Just, I know, he's a veteran, so you just, uh, I, can't, I can't throw him, you know, he's, he's good for whatever I throw at him. Um, I wanted us to talk as a church this morning for a little while. I know it's been a while since we've ordained anyone. And uh, I want to talk to us about what that looks like, and then Byron's going to come and share his testimony. I've asked Brother Jim to come and share his testimony of salvation and um, call to ministry. The, the pattern in the Scripture from Old Testament to New Testament and even to the day is that God calls out, and sets aside people for service. God calls out, and then he sets aside people for service. We see that all the way back to the Old Testament. And in fact, in reading your Bible through, you've, you've seen that uh, in some of the first few books of the Old Testament. I was struck by the fact that um, the tribe of Levi... There's probably other occasions of what truth I'm talking about today, but just the tribe of Levi, when, when God calls the 12 tribes of Israel out, he says, now, all of y'all are going to get an inheritance, and here's going to be some land, and we're going to do this, and, but there's one tribe that's mine, and it is the tribe of Levi. And they weren't given land like the other tribes were given land. They were given some land, but it was in cities and some common land for them to farm. But God said the tribe of Levi, and the reason was that Moses and Aaron were from the tribe of Levi. It was Moses' tribe. And God said, no, the tribe of Levi will be for me, and they will serve in the tabernacle, eventually in the temple. They were to be the priest. God said, they're mine. He called them out of the 12, and he set them aside, not for a position but for service, there was something. I mean, these guys were assigned parts of the tabernacle to carry, you know, and different guys had different things they had to do. They were called out not for position, 
but for service. Uh, I was struck this week to read the section. Uh, it's actually in, in Numbers, but when Moses has been told by God that he is not going to go into the promised land, Moses approaches God and says, you need to raise up a leader. And God chooses Joshua. And it's said in Numbers 27, 18, And the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, with you, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. And what's described, if you read all those verses around it, is that God called out Joshua, because Moses isn't going to go in. They need a leader. And he set him apart for service. Not so much about the position as it was to serve. If we continue to go through the Bible and you come to the Gospels and the, the ministry and the life of Jesus, you see that there were a number of people that followed Jesus that would have been described as disciples in the broader sense. There came a day early in Jesus' ministry. In fact, what it, it records it, I'm pretty sure, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that Jesus goes up on the mountain and he prays all night long. And when he comes down from the mountain, and, and Luke's account of this, in Luke 6, 13, it says, And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself. That's the larger group. And from them he chose 12 whom he also named apostles. He called them out and he set them aside. Yes, they were the 12 disciples, but technically they were the 12 apostles, a word that denotes that they were the authorized ones who would be the witness, they didn't even know it, to the resurrection of the Savior. They were to be the ones who proclaimed it. They were set aside not for position, but uh, for service. Brother Dole always makes the point in our life group that uh, this is like, this isn't a real happy, clappy moment, but all of the 12, other than John, who died in old age, all of them died a martyr's death. So Jesus calls out these men to be witnesses, not for the position, but for service. In fact, as I was reading in Mark's gospel this week, it had the story of uh, they're traveling along. This is after the transfiguration. And they're traveling on the road, and they're, they're having a little talk. The disciples are talking among themselves, and Jesus is I guess acting like he's oblivious to it, although he knows. You know, Jesus knows. Hayden, Jesus knows. Amen? It doesn't matter if you're doing it in secret. He knows. Anyhow, that's not my sermon this morning. Uh, they get to the house where they're staying, and Jesus says to the disciples, uh, heard y'all talking about something on the way. What were you boys talking about? Oh, let me just say it was awkward. And finally, somebody pipes up and says, well, we were, we were talking on the way about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. <laughs> and Jesus, that's when he makes the statement. He says, if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom, you will be, you know, you know what he said? You will be the servant of all. In the kingdom, the one who serves is the greatest. And when Jesus called out the 12, he was teaching them. He was teaching the 12, you have been called out and you've been, a set, you've been set aside. But it's for service. It's not about the position. It's about the service that you are to give. 
in the early church in the same way we see it in the book of Acts and we'll look at that in here in just a minute but in Ephesians chapter 4 Paul says Ephesians 4.11 and he himself gave some to be apostles some prophets some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the equipping here's the purpose for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ so God even through the early church was calling out and setting aside for service why were all these men called out what was their purpose to build up the body of Christ and so um, we see that pattern throughout the scripture that God calls out and he sets aside for service and that's what we're about today uh, to help kind of illustrate that uh, I've asked Byron well I've told Byron let's, let's be honest I didn't ask him uh, I've asked my brother Jim but I've told Byron I want you to come and share your story of um, just your conversion and your call to ministry and then brother Jim I'm ask you to come also after Byron and just share that because I want I want us to see it in the flesh of what God has done so you know it's a big day if I got my shirt tucked in normally if I got closed-toed shoes on today I have a tie on and a jacket and so uh, it's not for Tom DeLosier I dressed up for my mom and my wife so uh, I wasn't I wasn't born in the church but I definitely uh, was raised in the church and um, I was I, I, there's not been a season in my life where I've been away from the church um, and the way I look at that the mental picture from an early age um, especially parents with little kids it's like it's like building the bonfire it's like stacking wood on it and every time I came every time I memorized the scripture every time I sang a worship song every time I was here it was like building this fire right but the fire wasn't there yet um, there was a, a stack of logs being built and um, when I was I think I was five six um, early age kindergarten age um, obviously I'd had many conversations with my parents over the years uh, about God and that that bonfire had been built um, but it was at, at that age when I, I guess something clicked right so, uh, uh, an igniter lit and uh, I understood that I was a sinner and that if I didn't have Jesus I would be separated from him forever and that's uh, when I was saved that's when God uh, lit uh, my life on fire for the first time uh, and as much as a five-year-old and a six-year-old can understand that that's where I was at uh, middle school and high school obviously spent here in this church uh, as in the youth group set in those exact pews I think we actually sat in the back back there and then Steve Bishop made us move up front I think to try to keep us in line uh, but I think those were years of me growing in my faith of that fire building um, but to be honest with you I think there was uh, uh, for me personally this temptation to fake it uh, and I don't know why necessarily. I think two reasons. One, I'm a preacher's kid, and I'm also a type A personality, and I feel like I gotta have everything together. I gotta be put together. I gotta make sure everybody knows that I, you know, I'm, I'm a success and this and that, and that's a, a sinful thing in me. Um, and so I think even though my faith was growing in those years, it was, um, I, felt, I, I fought this 
this temptation to fake it, to put on a show, uh, to be more about religion than being honest about my relationship uh, with God. And so I think for me, when I went to college, it was a time where that bonfire really uh, was lit up, right? There was a fan uh, pumping oxygen into that. It was a season of life where God placed me in some community of believers that were very real, very honest about their faith. There was no uh, mask and fakeness about it at all. It was honest. It was real. And um, for me, and this is maybe sad to say, but that was really the first time in my life in college where I consistently uh, studied God's word, where I consistently prayed uh, and that's not my parents' fault. That's not this church's fault. That's just my story. But that was when God began to really grow that, this passion inside of me um, that would really manifest itself uh, later. Um, so I'm saved when I'm little. God grows me, uh, and he really begins to light my life uh, up in college. Um, but I still had a lot of me. I still had a lot of my desires, and so I got this degree in petroleum engineering because Papa was a petroleum engineer, and Dad sat me down when I was a junior and asked, what do you want to do with your life, son? And I had no idea, just like every other 17-year-old in the world, and um, not every other one, but a lot of them. And uh, I was good at math and science. Papa was a petroleum engineer. Let's do this. I don't know anything about it, but let's go for it. I got this degree. Um, did well, got a job with Chevron out in West Texas, and uh, was really chasing uh, the American dream, the Chevron dream, right, to, to climb the ladder, to be a success. Again, this, I want people to think well of me. And um, it wasn't very long out into that time uh, that God just began to unsettle me, is really the word I wrote down. Um, he just unsettled me. Uh, by all measures, I had it all together, had a job, had a degree, had money, uh, had a future, but there was an unsettledness within me, and uh, I decided through my church to take this class, uh, worst decision of my life thus far, by the way, to take this class called Perspectives. It's a class on missions, and uh, if I would not have signed up for that, my life would be in a very different place right now. Um, but we went every week and we, we sat and listened to different missionaries from around the world talk about God's heart for the nations, uh, listen to uh, people talk about strategy and where things are at and the lostness that exists in our world. And at the end of that semester, I, that unsettledness had grown into a complete discontent. And I knew without a doubt um, that for me to live for Byron's kingdom uh, would be sinful and would be a waste. Right. If I just built this whole life around me being a success, me being on top, then it would be a waste of my life. And I knew that God had called me to something more. Um, I, I, I don't, it took me a little bit to figure that out. Right? I, I, I remember that first phone call a little bit to Dad. Hey, I think I'm probably leaving my job at some point. And uh, I think a lot of people thought I was crazy. Maybe some of you still think I'm crazy. And that's okay. Um, but I knew that God had called me to something more. And I didn't know exactly what that looked like. I didn't know the specifics of it. Uh, at first, I really thought it was missions, right? So I, I went to seminary, got trained, um, took a bunch of classes, learned a bunch of things. And I got an opportunity to go for a semester in Spain. 
um, because I had been on a trip to Moldova when I was in high school. I had been uh, some other mission-type adventures. And uh, to be honest, I knew that there was something beyond that first week. There's kind of this buzz, there's this hype, and I wanted to taste it. I wanted to know, is this really what I'm called to? So I wanted a, a bigger taste. So I, I went for a semester in Spain, and, and God did some amazing things around us, but more in me, shaping me, forming me. I got to go again the next semester to England, and honestly, that semester was terrible. Um, not very good. <laughs> and God taught me more in that semester about who I was. And I think, I'm wrapping this up, what God had uh, done in that time, me tasting and experiencing missions on the front lines in the midst of very dark circumstances, is, is I just realized that, to be honest, God hadn't made me to be that. I'm, I'm a bad missionary <laughs> in other countries. And I can say that with confidence up here. And uh, I don't, I'm not saying that I'm not for missions or seeing people come to know God and I'm full support of Africa and all that stuff. I'm just a bad missionary. I'm not good at it. But what I began to see in that time was that God had gifted me in other areas. God had made me in certain ways. And one of those ways was teaching. One of those ways was discipleship. One of the, and God had just developed this pastor's heart. And Many of you and others in my class, because I'm a preacher's kid, had asked me my whole life, do you ever want to be a preacher? And I vehemently said no my whole life. I never wanted that, never desired that, never planned on being back in Huntington, Texas, never planned on being the youth pastor here, none of that. That was not on my radar at all. But God, through the years, as he lit me on fire, uh, just developed this heart um, to see disciples made, to see God's glory known in places that it's not. And um, God's used different seasons of my life to kind of form that call, to form the specifics. And uh, it's always changing, right? It's always a little bit different. Um, and this season of youth ministry has been wonderful, never something I thought I would do. But I've loved it, getting to see kids grow in the Lord, getting to see them uh, surrender to him completely and live their life for him. Um, thank you for what you've been to me a church family, and a support. Um, I guess my only word to you would be, you know, listen. Listen to him, right? He, he desires to use you. I'm, I'm not anything special up here today. But yes, God does call some of us and set us apart, but God has made you in a specific way. God has put you in a specific place, and he wants to use you where you're at. Uh, he wants to use you to reach those around you. Um, and my my word would be, don't be about your kingdom. Don't be about your little kingdom, seeing that grow and expand. Uh, if we are about that, then we've really missed the point here in Huntington, Texas. Uh, I want to see us be about God's kingdom. Um, so that, that's my story. I don't know if that was too long, too short, um, not enough, but it's what I got. And um, thank you for being here.
I'm Jim McCracken. I'm Amy's oldest big brother. Nineteen seventy, forty-eight years ago, a Sunday evening in a dorm room, athletic dorm room, North Texas State University in Denton, Texas. It was kind of quiet. My sweet mates were at Lake Dallas, so it was just uh, me and my uh, room. And I was sitting on my bunk and I was reading a little booklet, a gospel tract that my girlfriend, Beverly, who would later become my wife and the mother of our children and the nana of our grandkids, she and her mother gave me a gospel tract and asked me to consider reading it. You see, they knew that they had eternal life. They just weren't sure that I did. So, nothing else to do. So I went about reading that gospel tract. And what may have been fearful and risky for Beverly meant eternal life for me. It was the story of a Southern Baptist evangelist by the name of Angel Martinez from San Antonio, Texas. And in his story, he said, And it was like he was saying, Jim, you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when you die, you'll go to heaven. Beverly used to say that, and I heard her mom and dad and brother and sisters with such a confidence about that. I grew up just hoping I'd make it. If somehow my good would outweigh my bad, God would let me in to his heaven. At the end of his story, he finished it with a verse of scripture and a prayer. And I read them both humbly, but also with great anticipation. The verse was 1 John 5, 11, 12, and 13. And this is the record that God has given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that has the Son has life, and he that has not the Son of God has not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And the prayer went something like this.
Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross, being buried, and rising to live again on the third day and doing that for me. That I might have forgiveness of all my sins. That I might have an assurance of heaven when I die. And that I might have your promise to be with me and never to leave me nor forsake me all of my days. I believe you, Jesus. I believe in you. The heavens didn't open. Seated in part. But I had been changed forever. Couldn't wait. That was before these things. <laughs> How in the world did we make it? I don't know. Couldn't wait for my turn to use the payphone in a dorm. It was about 12.30 at night. And by the way, at 11.30 that night, there were 17 guys in my dorm room talking about spiritual things. I was about five hours old in Jesus. Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, Lutherans, Church of Christ, Catholics, Baptists, and a sprinkle of assembly, Nazarenes, and Apostolics. And it was during that time that I got to share my first testimony. My sweet mate had come in. He took the time to share his testimony in the middle of it. He said, and Jim, over here, you're a new follower of Jesus, aren't you? And you know what my first testimony was? Yes. <laughs> that next morning, I called Bev. Like I said, it was late, but early morning. And I called her and I said, I think I got saved today, tonight. Can you call your preacher 
and make an appointment for me because I'm coming home next weekend and I won't talk to him. A year later, Beverly and I were married, moved to Denton, finished college, And not long after that, we had uh, joined a little Baptist church on the, just off the campus at North Texas there in Denton. And Pastor Jack, one Sunday night, shared his story of his call to the ministry. Boy, it just seemed like everything he said resonated down deep inside me. Lord, are you talking to me? You calling me to preach the gospel? I'll keep helping out at church. I'll, I'll go wherever and do whatever you want me to do. But... I'm, I'm going to be a professional tennis player and uh, I'll, I'll be salt and light. As the invitation began, it's been a while since I've heard this. By the way, there's life in your church. Church, Jesus came in when you came in. And we felt it. Before, during the music, after the music. We felt pretty close to home. Thank you. And it's that kind of atmosphere that men, women, young men, young women get revived and go on with the Lord. And apparently that's happening here. Thank you for that. And I close. As we stood there during the invitation hymn, I'm just barely a year old in Christ. And uh, I read this in the Bible. So I shot up one of those fleece prayers. Lord, if this is true, I 
can't do this without Bev. Let her take my hand. And before that thought got out of my mind, she's standing right next to me, and she reaches over. Mine are on the front of the pew. <laughs> and she reaches over and grabs my hand and looks up into my face. And I bend down. And I tell her what's going on inside me. And she said, I'll go with you. I'll go with you. And we've been doing life with Jesus ever since. And we've seen Amy's kids grow. And God bless them with spouses and now children. And they walk not just in the shadow of their father. They walk beside you. And you have every reason to be proud of. I know I am. By the way, you and I know that the greatest calling is the call to discipleship, right? To follow Jesus. Paul said for us to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's the greatest call. But then he has some assignments. For some. And he'll keep putting his hand on some. Call them, set them aside for a particular assignment. And it'll be great to see as he continues to do it here. Amen. That's why I wanted you to hear him this morning. Amen. Um, thank you, brother. And thank you, Byron. Um, I want you to know that part of our family's story uh, is that among the uh, my mama's side of the family, my daddy's side of the family, my wife's side of the family, Brother Jim, I don't even know that I've talked to you about this. There are 18 of us in ministry. There are nine pastors, or some of them have retired. Uh, there are three that are doing children's ministry, including Jennifer Gross. There are six on my side of the family among my nieces and nephews that are doing missions. Three sets of couples that are either overseas uh, Portland Oregon are preparing to go overseas and so um, uh, brother Jim uh, is the one who 
uh, set the pace for me. He, he is 12 years older. Uh, so Amy's like the baby sister. She's like 30 years younger than he is, but <clears throat> uh, something like that. Uh, but Brother Jim, when I came into the family, he was the one as a pastor that set the pace for me. And that's really the point this morning. I wanted you to hear from him. I wanted you to hear from Byron. Uh, here, here's the deal, church. God continues to call and to set aside for service. He has to. There has to be a new generation. I thought it was interesting, both of you guys, it's during college. It's that time of life that many times God gets a hold of our lives. Uh, I'm going to close, but uh, just a few thoughts. Uh, in the scripture, the classic illustration and the one that we have more information or scripture about was the relationship between Paul, Timothy, and then the churches. And so we have First and Second Timothy, of course, and we can draw from that. And uh, Paul obviously is, is called of God. And he comes across Timothy in his first missionary journey. And then Timothy begins to travel with him, and Paul disciples him. And Timothy is called to ministry. And late in Paul's life, he writes First and Second Timothy. And um, I may talk about it tonight a little bit, but uh, Paul says, don't forget. He says it twice in 1 Timothy 4 and then 2 Timothy 1. Don't forget the gift that was given to you when the elders laid their hands on you. And he says it twice. And so I know some of the young guys last Sunday said, so Byron's going to be ordained. What does that mean? The ordination... And tonight we will do that, the laying on of hands, which we see even into the Old Testament in the tribe of Levi, uh, Moses laid his hands on them and set them apart. Moses lays his hands on Joshua and sets him apart. We see it. We see it of the first deacons that the church laid their hands upon them and they set them aside for, a, for service and and the, the church at Antioch laid their hands on Paul and Barnabas and set them apart for the work that God had called them to, missions. And then Paul says twice in those short letters to Timothy, don't forget when we laid our hands on you. The laying on of hands of, of ordination is, is the formal setting aside of someone for service. To say, no, no, your life is set aside. We are laying your ha our hands on you. Don't ever forget that God has set you aside. And so I wanted us to hear that this morning in preparation for this afternoon, but to know that God must continue to call out and to set aside people for service. Not for position, but he who would be the greatest among you, let him be the servant of all. Amen? Amen. We're going to stand. Brother Shane, uh, if you'll come.